Avengers, assemble. In the wake of Endgame, some were lost, others regained. They're good. What happens next? Stay tuned, true believers, as we try to find out. Peter Melnick. Graphic designer, comic book enthusiast, and podcast pontificator. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Upstate New York radio announcer in the Sullivan Catskills with an inordinate amount of catching up in his own comic book universe. Ready? It's time for a new episode of The Marvelists. Hi, this is Tom Scioli, creator of Jack Kirby, Epic Life of the King of Comics, and you're listening to The Marvelists with Peter Melnick and Eddie Wilson. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. And before we get into our grand uh, episode of The Marvelists, we want to tell you all at home how you can get a hold of us on social media. I like that. Go ahead. <laughs> Thank you. First off, go on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Marvelists. Go on Twitter and Instagram at The Marvelists. And find us on all those social media platforms. You can also find us individually, myself on Facebook at facebook.com slash Peter Melnick Podcaster, on Twitter and Instagram at Peter Melnick. And remember, there is only one Uno, not an evil Uno, just a regular Uno, Uno, one place on the worldwide interwebs where you can find Eddie Wilson on social media, and that is Instagram at Eddie9193. And on top of that, people at home, you can be able to listen to this show on TuneIn Radio, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, Podbean, wherever you can wrangle an RSS feed, we're there. But most importantly, go on iTunes where you can rate, review, subscribe, and tell the people at home, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. I don't even know where I'm going with this, but just spread the word. Spread the word like Nutella. Mm. Let people enjoy this show and find it on them are listening devices. And remember also, like the ice cream machine at McDonald's, Eddie Wilson is annoyed. And four stars and below in the review just does not work. Simply put, it's podcasting at a pandemic level, which is uh, the high level of mediocrity. A poddemic, Eddie. Really, you should have went with that pun. Oh, I like that. Now, Eddie, on the other end of the tin can string, we are joined alongside by artist and writer... Tom Scholey. Tom is responsible for one of the grand design books at Marvel, the Fantastic Four grand design. And we both read the book for the show, and we're big fans of this. Especially myself, I love the whole grand design format. Tom, first off, hello. And what is the grand design format to our listeners at home that might not be familiar? Well, it's um, taking existing... Uh, comic book characters from Marvel with, you know, their long histories and then handing them over to um, auteur comics creators, uh, comics creators who kind of uh, are like one-man bands who do everything, write, draw, letter, ink, color, and then sort of letting them do their thing with it and retell the stories of these characters in, in sort of a unique way. Now, when I was reading the book, first off, I, I'm a big fan of the Grand Design brand in general, and when I ended up seeing you were going on to do a Fantastic Four one, I was really excited because my introduction to your work was through Cave Carson as a cybernetic eye over at DC's Young Animals line, and I fell in love with your work right off the bat with your retelling of 
Green Arrow's origin and just fantastic stuff all around. And it's the art style that you have is a very like it reminds me of ni- like nineteen thirties, nineteen forties ish kind of art with like a love of Silver Age stuff in between and a very dreamy sense to it. You know, like the very subdued colors, just such an interesting look to this that tells such a great story in itself. And what I'm curious about is, first off, who, how did the grand design come about for yourself with Fantastic Four? Um, well, they um, had done uh, an X-Men grand design with Ed Pfister, and they were looking for, you know, another... Um, another like super team or, or superhero and then another creator. And uh, so my name came up and they, uh, you know, gave me a call, you know, just out of the blue and said, we're thinking about doing more of these grand designs. Are you interested? And, you know, just did everything I, I could to not just like, you know, blurt out, yes, absolutely. But, you know, kind of play it cool <laughs> a, a little bit at least. Um, and, and yeah, I, I agreed to do it. And they said, now, we're not 100% sure we're going to do more of them, but um, if we did, and if it were Fantastic Four, like, what, what would your pitch be? So I gave them, you know, my little pitch, and then I didn't really hear anything more about it uh, for close to a year, and, and I, I kind of, you know, moved on to other projects. I, I started doing, a, like, a GoBots comic, and I was uh, working on my Jack Kirby uh, biographical graphic novel, um, and then they contacted me again and said, okay, it's on, we're doing it. So we just go, go, go after that. How much time, Tom, in between, because uh, X-Men, I believe, was the first, so Peter made that uh, Freudian slip, I think, intentionally. How much time between the, the X-Men and Fantastic Four did, did take place between these these grand design, you know, incarnations? Um, it was probably, it was less than a year. Uh, I mean, the, the um, X-Men grand design ran for, issues was collected in three volumes uh so it it you know um came out of, over a number of years but as soon as it was done uh it's run I, I think it was just like a few months later that that mine came out it seemed that way too and i guess maybe you'd caught wind so to speak of when x-men first came out so it was maybe after that part that you know you got kind of pulled into the inner circle of putting this together yeah i mean um like me and ed are, are friends and and neighbors and and we've you know shared studio space off and on over the years so i mean i was aware of his whole x-men journey like i you know from the time they first approached him to you know when he was you know turning in like his initial uh proposals and then and then the actual art so i got sort of a a very close look at the whole thing and and the whole the whole process so um you know i was sort of well versed in that whole universe and that whole approach uh, by the time they, they approached me. And it looks like in both X-Men and Fantastic Four cases, you've got back-to-back, I mean, cover-to-cover comics, you know, nothing in between, no no ads, really. This is this is solid, I'm going to say, what is it, 48 or more pages, and a lot of reading to do. It's not going to be yeah. like your standard comic, take you 15 minutes or whatever to do, but what would you say happened, the difference that X-Men took on three two-parters, and Fantastic Four did one. Was there that much? Maybe that when when the, the, all the brains thought, uh, you know what, we can't do this in just two. We got to do more on on this title. 
Should we do more on it? Uh, you know what I mean? There's just that difference. Yeah. I mean, to me, uh, X-Men is just um, more of a labyrinthine continuity, this huge, vast continuity over, you know, decades um, with no real central character. You know, there, there's just like, like a, a galaxy of X-Men characters. So it's just sort of a, a more complicated, uh, more intricate world that, that really needed that much time and space to cover. And also, um, I think it just speaks to the popularity of the X-Men in general. The X-Men has, you know, since the late 70s and the early 80s been, you know, a, a major, major, major book uh, for Marvel. You know, there's no, there's no two ways about it. I, you know, just, just a huge hit and, and just vitally important. Really up until somewhat recent memory, it, it, um, Avenger, Avengers kind of eclipsed it a little bit. But even so, I mean, X-Men has this, like, multi-generational fan base. Uh, those old uh, Fox cartoons are still, uh, you know, uh, you know, kids even today are still, you know, going back to those cartoons and stuff. Where Fantastic Four kind of had its height in sort of the 60s and, and parts of the 70s, but it never regained that huge, huge following in subsequent decades. And, and, and to the point where, um, you know, the movies never quite took off. The, um, you know, they, they, they stopped running the series for a while. It just, um, you know, just, just Fantastic Four just wasn't um, as evergreen as X-Men. The, uh, the last question I have regarding this whole grand design format, are there, if you can say, any other characters that might be on the horizon to treat, you know, give this treatment to? I mean, uh, at Marvel, um, I imagine they'll, pro- they'll probably do a grand design for you know, every one of their major characters. We'll probably just just work down the, the list. Um, and I'm assuming they're going to keep the format of, like, a different creator for each, uh, you know, character or each team or whatever. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't know that I would do another one of these. Um, I, I mean, I would definitely take this approach to other characters. You know, it would be interesting to... To, to do something like this, you know, at, at um, you know, DC or, or maybe with, like, you know, Star Wars or something. But as far as, like, the Marvel stuff, I, I imagine they're going to, you know, hand the torch off to, to another uh, creator and then, and then that creator will hand it off to another creator, um, you know, and just get as many different voices in there as possible. I mean, these, these people, uh, myself and, and uh, Ed Pisker included, are... You know, people who you don't usually see steering a major book at like at Marvel. So I want to see more of that. I want to see some some people who are doing like really interesting things in like the independent world of comics. Uh, apply that to these to these mainstream mm-hmm. properties. For myself, as a kid of the '90s, when I listened to the uh, episode of Cartoonist Kayfabe with Ed Pester pitching image grand design, like that's mm-hmm. something. I so badly want because characters like, you know, Spawn, Savage Dragon, Young Blood, Wildcats, all of those characters, they're, they hold such a special place in my heart, you know, regardless of, you know, do they hold up as well? Eh, 50-50, but it's still such a cool thing. And 
the grand design concept, yeah, it, it absolutely brings so many options to the table that you can do. And I was actually earlier today reading an article of different, you know, titles, like what could be, you know, a future grand design. And someone suggested it, and I, you know, latched onto the idea of Marvel Cosmic with the Jim Starlin stuff. There could be some amazing stories to be told just with that alone, you know? Yeah, I mean, that, that, that would be great. And that, um, that Starlin Cosmic you know, just sort of spread across the whole Marvel universe. And, I, I mean, it's, it became the basis for, for the, the movie, you know, for sure. And, and yeah, that, that would be a really cool one. That's, that's one I hadn't thought of. My mind had sort of gone to the more obvious things of, like, Avengers grand design, Captain America grand design, Hulk grand design, Daredevil grand design. But, yeah, uh, uh, Marvel Cosmic would be really cool. Mm. Tom, how, uh, how old were you, and what brought you into comics? What title, character... Um, I mean, I was, you know, just a little kid, uh, you know, in, in the uh, 80s. And um, I think the thing that got me uh, into comics would be Star Wars comics. Mm-hmm. That was sort of the, the gateway. Um, but, I mean, I loved just superheroes and superhero culture and, and cartoons. I loved the Christopher Reeve Superman movies. Um, so, you know, once I, you know, started, you know, picking up comics, like, on my own, um, it, it kind of blew my mind learning about superheroes I never heard of because I thought, okay, I know all the superheroes. I know all the super friends. I know Spider-Man and his amazing friends. But then, like, learning about guys like uh, Dr. Solar or, um, or or the New Gods, or it's like, wow, there's, you know, like a universe of this stuff. And, and I, you know, I've just barely tapped the surface. So your appetite became a little insatiable then? Yeah, and, and there is a never-ending supply. I mean, there's there's just sort of like endless superhero universes. You know, you get into like the Charlton stuff, and, uh, you know, new superhero universes are being spawned every day in, in this sort of, you know, uh, independent age. And, you know, being a child of the 80s yourself, like I'm looking through the Treasury Edition right now of Fantastic Four Grand Design, and I'm seeing all the different, you know, your sketch covers, and the one that other than the This Man, This Monster homage cover, the other one that really pops out to me is your homage for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you know, the uh, Eastman sure. Lord version. And, yeah, how much of an impact did that book have on you? Oh, huge. I mean, yeah, like Ninja Turtles. Again, the cartoon came out. It was pretty cool. I was into it. But then when I discovered the, the Eastman and Laird comic, which was very edgy, very dark, very exciting... I mean, I, I just ate it up. I, I loved it. And the idea did occur to me working on this that, like, there are some commonalities between the Fantastic Four and the Ninja Turtles. I mean, first of all, there's four of them. But they are kind of, like, Fantastic Four was very raw at its time. It, it didn't have the polish of, like, a DC comic. It, it felt kind of subversive and odd. And, um, and, and just the fact that they're not... Marvel doesn't technically define them as mutants, but they, you know, they, they, they're as much mutants as the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are. You know, they're, they're sort of, uh, um, you know, they, they uh, got exposed to, you know, some form of radiation and then, and then transformed into something else. So, yeah, there's just... And then also, as, as those comics both being the beginning of a new era, like Fantastic Four number one was the beginning of the Marvel era as we know it. And... Um, and Ninja Turtles being sort of the beginning of this, like, independent comic 
movement, and then and then so much more as it as it you know became a phenomenon. And you also draw the comparison of the SF and the Ninja Turtles, and there's there's so many there are the comparisons, especially with the characters. You know, you have a Michelangelo who could be very similar to a Johnny Storm, or Raphael who's very similar to uh, Ben Grimm, and you know, not just because of their penchant of gigantic oversized trench coats and you know hats, right? Yeah, but it's all and again also uh, what's his name. Uh, Donatello and Reed Richards, and you could maybe take Leonardo and utilize as well with Sue Storm. It's mm-hmm. again just there's that parallel between the two, especially. Yeah, and and uh, Eastman and Laird were huge Jack Kirby fans. They were huge Marvel fans, so it was you know very much a, like a deliberate tribute. And on the topic of them, by the way, how great is it to see them that they're going to be doing something together again in the very near future, thanks to the uh, Toys That Made Us documentary? Yeah, that was uh, a really beautiful episode. And just as, as like a fan of them and, and a fan of just you know comics creators in general, that, that was really exciting to, to see them sort of reunite there. And Jack Kirby got name-dropped a lot in that episode of the Toys That Made Us. And honestly, you know, Kirby, it's great to see as the years have gone on, he's getting more and more respect shown, not just, you know, from hardcore comic fans, but in pop culture in general. Um, when I was at Toy Fair this year, I had spoken, you know, off mic with a uh, toy executive there, and I'm not going to name names, but he had asked me, point blank, he goes, Jack Kirby action figure, would you buy that? And I'm just like, uh-huh. yeah, absolutely, I would. But it's like, you know... The the name of Kirby is starting to get there more and more as a recognizable force and a recognizable name in pop culture. It is. We've we've seen it happen like little by little. I mean, there you know it was. It used to be just you know like hardcore comic fans and stuff knew Jack Kirby and knew his importance and and how he co-created you know the Marvel universe. But little by little, it it started creeping into the mainstream culture, and, and now we're, um, you know, uh, maybe like cl- close to 30 years after his death, and I feel like we're on the cusp of Jack Kirby becoming a household name in the same way that Stan Lee is. Yeah, and having the birthday celebration was really a good thing, I thought, with the uh, True Believer line of comics. Um, I, I think, though, before I forget, if there's going to be a Jack Kirby action figure, it has to come with an accessory of, like, a draft or artboard kind of thing. Really? Yeah, You're not yeah, going to go with the store? A, a T-square. Uh, yeah, and, and definitely, yeah, the, the, the uh, drawing board. I, I imagine, like, he would probably stand pretty nicely next to, like, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle figures. Yeah. That kind of, like, sort of strong, stocky build. And, and posable so that you can have him hunched over that thing as he's doing his craft. Yeah. What are some of your favorite creations of Kirby? I mean, my top uh, is the New Gods, um, and, and then just that whole related fourth world mm. canon that he created. So New Gods, Mr. Miracle, Forever People. Uh, like, I just love that. that. That whole mythology that he built pretty much out of nothing. Um, you know, in just, you know, each one of those comics ran, like, maybe, like, 11 issues. Um, and he created, like, an equivalent to what he did, you know, in, in uh, eight years at Marvel. I'm thinking Absolutely. 
Um, there were a couple of things I just went through. I was going through bagging and boarding, and I and I saw that uh, I think Marvel collaborated with with Icon, and there was another Jack Kirby, and I oh the title escapes me now. But it starts with Jack Kirby's is it intergalactic something? Planetary. Oh, uh, intergalactic bounty hunters. Yes. Yeah that that was um, that was yeah be, that was before the uh, Kirby family like sort of came to like a legal settlement with with Marvel where you know where now you know they have some you know partnership or some participation with them but yeah that was um, it was like an old uh, uh, discarded you know idea that Jack Kirby had he had you know for all the comics and creations that like we know about he had a whole closet full of of you know equally amazing ideas that just never, you know, it never found a home or never got off the ground. And the other thing that I, that I recall, and I think I got the run of that, which was about 12 issues and a special off the PC label, was uh, yeah. Captain Victory? Yeah, yeah. Captain Victory is one of my favorites. It's a really late work for him. It was, it was in the 80s after he pretty much retired from comics. But it's a, it's a great story. It kind of starts off like a Star Wars, Battlestar Galactica kind of thing and then eventually he sort of ties it in with the new gods uh in a, in a way that you can when you're talking about you know two different companies uh intellectual properties but but he kind of um he has a character called black mass who's sort of like the ghost of dark side and they're from a planet uh that's not apocalypse it's called helicost and and uh, he has all these uh analog characters and and uh, it's really interesting the way he you know, sort of tied up his, his his whole universe. You could tell that these characters and their stories were really important to him so that even after the comics were canceled, he still had more stories he wanted to tell and, and, and things that he wanted to wrap up for them. Do you recall, Tom, your first um, visual, your first comic that you said, who is this guy? It's Jack Kirby, and what what that was? Yeah, it was, um, it was a treasury edition of... Um, Thor. It was uh, the Ragnarok story, the Mangog. It was about this uh, monster that, that had the, the power of a billion uh, people. This alien race got sort of uh, combined into this one monster. Mm-hmm. And it was just this amazing story. Um, and I remember like seeing Stan Lee's name and being like, okay, Stanley, I know who that is. He's, he's the voice that, that narrates the, the Hulk cartoon and the Spider-Man cartoon. Jack Kirby didn't quite register in the same way. Like I like it, it was noted, but it wasn't like, oh yeah, this this is the other guy who created this stuff. It was uh, you know very much like oh Stanley, 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 and then it was only years later that I kind of realized like oh all these different comics that I loved, Jack Kirby was you know was was you know a, 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 you know as much or, or more important in, in their creation. I think myself. First, realizing the name Jack Kirby and, oh, this is his artwork. And, yes, all the classic characters that we all know well and love. But the title that's jumping out at me, that because I think when I really was starting to collect, was towards the latter end of the 70s or so, Devil Dinosaur. Mm-hmm. That's, that was, I think, my on jumping on point, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, he is very much Jack Kirby at that point. Like, all of his sort of stylistic uh, hallmarks, are there like turned up to eleven in that work? You just have these like, you know, really uh, uh, graphically designed, intricate monsters, and then these, you know, there's like weird robots. Like 
you never knew what was going to happen from one issue to the next of Devil Dinosaur. And I think that might have been the last comic he did at Marvel before he kind of retired, or at least it was concurrent maybe with, you know, something else that he was working on there. Now, do you, and this is a Peter question, do you, Peter, recall your first Jack Kirby experience? So for me, I really didn't, I got back into comics around like 2011, and I want to say it might have been that Spider-Man cover, you know, the uh, Amazing Fantasy 15 where he had done the cover. That really was my main experience with him. And then later on, I could never get into Fantastic Four growing up. I don't know why, but then at one point I just hunkered down and started reading it and then reading it and reading it and reading it. And that was when it clicked for me. So for me, my main introduction to, you know, the King was Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. But in regards yeah, to... Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say that, that Spider-Man is an, interesting, is an interesting one. I mean, it's such an iconic cover. And, uh, you know, you do, you, when you think of Spider-Man, you think of Steve Ditko, you think of Stan Lee, but Jack Kirby was, was there, you know, in the early days, too. You know, um, uh, had, he had his hand in the, in the creation of Spider-Man. And then a lot of Spider-Man's early appearances were, you know, in Fantastic Four, uh, you know, drawn, drawn by Jack Kirby. I, like when you say that it, it took you a while to get into the Fantastic Four, it was kind of the same for me. Uh, I, I love the Fantastic Four now, but there was sort of a barrier, and I think part of it was that I was coming from a place as like a Spider-Man fan. So to me, the Fantastic Four were the team that would sort of lecture Spider-Man, yell at him, tell him everything he's doing wrong. You know, so it, it, it took me a while to realize that, oh, wait, these, these are like cool characters in their own right, as opposed to these, uh, you know, sort of like, parental figures who, who, you know, give Spider-Man a hard time. I find it funny that the, you know, the two main titles of Grand Design are Your Fantastic Four and Ed's X-Men, and both were characters that I could never get into, and now I'm at a point where my hoodie has an Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters patch. I uh, mm-hmm. have a little pin of the uh, Fantastic Four logo, but it's the uh, Ramones, and instead of Hey Ho, Let's Go, it's Hey Ho, Flame On. And, you know, just little things like that, like they've permeated, you know, my love of comics that much where the FF and the X-Men are my absolute favorites. And, you know, they overshadow now for me Spider-Man, which was Mm -hmm. my be-all, end-all favorite. And, you know, going back over to some of uh, Kirby's work, you know, we were talking about Captain Victory. That's one of those characters, it's such a shame because you can't find that original run, unless you go, you know, for a back issue run, looking, you know, through, uh, you know, long boxes at a comic convention, they haven't even re-released those, or even, you know, is digital. It's it's a real shame, because mm-hmm. that is such an underrated run. Yeah, it, it really is. It, it's one of those things. I mean, fortunately, last I checked, they're still, yeah, not, not too hard to come by in the, the bargain bins, and, and they still, you know, go for cheaper prices. But, yeah, it would be nice to get you know, like a graphic novel of that, because that is something that I sort of hand to people who aren't necessarily comics fans to sort of, you know, say, hey, check out Jack Kirby, because it, it, it's very odd and it's very strange, and I, I feel like in a weird way it, it, it's, it's very accessible to someone who, who didn't, you know, grow up in comics. 
And, you know, recently with his 100th birthday that had, you know, happened a couple of years ago, they, like, Marvel was doing their thing, not much, but DC, on the other hand, they blew it out of the water and they went all out that year. Which, and it, mm-hmm. the only, you know, downside for me was they re-released all of Jack Kirby's Fourth World in paperback, except for Forever People. And, you know, yeah, like, I think that's on its way. Is it? Okay, awesome. I had no idea, because I'm, I'm still using the uh, black and white 1990s reprint of that, mm-hmm. and I'd like to eventually get rid of that. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, it, it, uh, to me, the Forever People is as important as, as any of Kirby's work. Like, I, I, I rank it, um, you know, up there, like, after, you know, with uh, New Gods and, and Mr. Miracle. New Gods and Mr. Miracle kind of get more attention, but I love the Forever People, and and you talk about Darkseid, who's such a major character, like he's like the villain for DC, and all, all his best moments are in the Forever People. Like he's pretty much a co-star of, of the Forever People, and he's just like just a really amazing character in that particular book. So for anybody who hasn't read Forever People, like you know, you're you're missing out. And in regards to you know his work on the Fourth World stuff, Kirby had like the ability hey, we'll give you, you know, Superman, we'll give you Batman. And what is the title he goes with as his very first title over at DC? Jimmy Olsen. And, yeah, it's one of those things where he's this guy responsible for so much important stuff, and yet he was the one that said, no, I'm going to go do this because I don't want to take away somebody's job on a big title. I'll go with this, the, the book no one really wants to work on. Fine, you know, whatever. That's what I'll do. And it's, it kind of shows, again, the character of who Kirby was. He was very humble and very... Mm-hmm. Like, even, even towards the end, he didn't realize the impact he had on the comics community. Yeah, he, he didn't, didn't have an ego at all. And that, um, you know, sort of saying, oh, yeah, give me Jimmy Olsen. I'll turn Jimmy Olsen into a hit. That's become a recipe for success in comics. I think of, like, Frank Miller on Daredevil, where, like, Daredevil was a, a character that was, like, close to being canceled. It, it wasn't a monthly comic anymore. It was coming out every other month. It was, you know, looked at as just sort of like a uh, Spider-Man ripoff. And Frank Miller turned Daredevil into, you know, one of Marvel's biggest characters. Um, and, and it was just because when a character isn't the flagship, when it isn't the, the uh, you know, the big earner, for a company, they're willing to take chances on it. They're willing to sort of uh, look the other way and, and, and let you, you know, do your thing on it. And, and, and you know, Frank Miller did that, and, and, you know, others have done it with, with other characters. I, I, I think of that sometimes where it's like, you know, try to, um, like, like when I did GoBot, for example, it was like, okay, here's something that I feel has a ton of potential, but nobody's doing anything with it right now. So I can, I can really just go to town on it, take a bunch of chances, and, 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 like, no, nobody will get in my way. And, you know, in regards to GoBots, GoBots in, like, pop, like pop culture circles, it gets, you know, that stigma, like it's a punchline. And yet, mm-hmm. when you got on the title, I remember I walked up to uh, at my local comic shop and I talked to the uh, cashier. I go, I can't believe I'm buying a GoBots comic. And he looks and he goes, you're buying two GoBots comics. And I'm like, yeah, I really am. <laughs> and, again... The art that you, you know, the way everything about, I'm a little tongue-tied for this, but, like, everything 
the whole total package of what GoBots is for you, you made it into such a great book. And again, it's like GoBots shouldn't be a good comic, but it's friggin' amazing. You know, it's like mm-hmm. it's one of those. This shouldn't be like this, but it is, and it's kind of awesome. It's a pleasant surprise. Right. Yeah, I I appreciate that. Yeah, that, I mean that was that was my thought of like of like. People aren't going to see this one coming, you know. I, I, I'm, I'm really going to surprise people with this because, like I, I did, I, I, I took it very seriously and treated it as if, you know, um, uh, GoBots was Hamlet or something. I think that that's the thing about any property. You should treat it like it's this, not like a sacred work, but it's like, oh yeah, you know, I'll show you. And I'm going to make this into something that is great. You look, you know, Tom King with Mr. Miracle. No one really cared about Mr. Miracle other than, you know, the hardcore Kirby fans. And as a result, Mr. Miracle is kind of like it's considered one of the best comics over in the distinguished competition right now. It's kind of insane. Well, I mean, like as, as like a comics creator, I don't understand, uh, you know, sort of creators who sort of sleepwalk through this stuff who are like, Oh, you know, this isn't that big a deal. I'm not going to like to me. It's you know, like I'm I'm so lucky to have this job and be able to do these things, and and I'm not going to you know let up for a minute. Like I, whatever I'm working on, I'm going to you know try to make that into you know like the best thing I can. So like yeah, like I, there 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 isn't anything that I could see like working on and and you know phoning it in or sleepwalking through it. Like it's just like. Just, just the act of, of working on a comic, just, you know, uh, energizes me so much. That's a great mindset to have for a lot of this. And, you know, it's, yeah, I've noticed that sometimes in comics I'll see a book and I'm just like, oh, they really didn't care, you know, whereas on the flip mm-hmm. side, like, you know, also going over to an equal uh, treasury size book, you have uh, Donnie Cates and Trad Moore's mm-hmm. Silver Surfer Black, which, again, that's just, it's incredible to look at. And mm-hmm. it, it's kind of funny to see that the Treasury format is making a comeback, you know, with Grand Design, Fantastic Four, and Silver Surfer. And I have to say, I liked collecting Fantastic Four Grand Design as regular, you know, comic issues. But damn, did it improve this, you know, experience with the Treasury format because the larger pages make it pop out more, make it have more of an impact on the page. And if if you are able to read Grand Design, Treasury is the way to go. I mean, I've been wanting to do a Treasury-sized book my entire career. Like like I said, I fell in love with uh, you know Jack Kirby's comics through the, the Thor Treasury. I just love that Treasury format. And there were a bunch of times where like I almost uh, you know ha- had a Treasury. It was like Transformers versus GI Joe. We there was talk of doing a treasury and it never happened. GoBots, there was talk of doing a treasury and it never happened. And then finally with Fantastic Four, Grand Design got the treasury. And I, I mean, I was so excited to, to finally, you know, have my work in that format. I, 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 I wish every comic I did was, was a treasury. And, and again, you know, just like with the panel grid structure of how you did this too, it really works out very well because, you know, you have, like, sometimes 15, 20 to 25 panels on a page, and 
you know, you want all of that to have an impact. And I feel like it's lesser on a regular-sized comic page. Like, the Treasury, the story benefits so much from the Treasury aspect. I mean, it, it has more room to breathe. I, um, yes. like, working on it, I felt like there was, like, an interesting opportunity to sort of, you know, see how each medium uh, treats it. And, and I felt like, well, the, um, the regular comic size version is going to give you, like, a very, very intense experience. Like, it's, and which I sort of felt from, from Ed's X-Men, too. Like, it was, like, two totally different reading experiences, and each with their own benefits. Like, like I was sort of, um, you know, gobsmacked by just the intensity of reading a comic book that was that dense. And so, you know, I, I, I wanted to have my, my crack at that, too, you know, to sort of have two different reading experiences. And one of the things that I really enjoyed about collecting these books is with the grand design, I've collected almost every single variant cover. And with the variant covers, yours also had something that Ed's had as well, the corner box variant. And mm -hmm. if I remember correctly, on yours, you also included the Marvel Pop Art Comics uh, logo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, what are your favorite versions of the Marvel Corner Box? Um, I mean, I, I love just, like, that original, like, the early, early, early stuff. Uh, even though it's, like, before my time, it's not my era. It's, like, you know, when you got, like, the faces of, of Fantastic Four on there, you know, that it, it's just great. Or, um, you know, Cap with his, you know, with his shield, like a, a perfect circle. So those old, I mean, cause it's like, it's really of that era. The, the, the thing that I think of um, more like from my era would be the, it's like the bottom corner box where like the barcode would go if it were sold at like 7-Eleven, but instead of a barcode, it's, you know, Spider-Man's face. Yeah. That's, that's the one that, that I more associated with, like, my era. Correlate to that as well, yeah. No, the corner box format, and, um, well, I'm thinking of X-Men, too, with all the several five or so heads of X-Men on those various issues. But I think with Fantastic Four, and I do have that particular variant on the first of the two Fantastic Four grand design. The other one is the um, um, also a variant on the second issue where they're all holding up the number four. And mm -hmm. I was going to add, though, with, with the corner box format, I don't know if it was just the Fantastic Four that not only did you get the four heads, but you got a full, although miniature, of course, size figure of one of the characters as well. Yeah, they, they would alternate. You'd get, like, a, uh, yeah, you'd get, more, more often than not, you'd get the thing, but then sometimes you'd get, um, you know, the Human Torch or, or uh, uh, you know, Sue Storm or, or Reed. But, you know, uh, talking about these corner boxes, it reminds me that I think it was during Peter David's run he had corner boxes where if you put them all like on top of each other and flip them like a flip book, you would have uh, Bruce Banner turn into the Hulk. Oh. Like a slow I never noticed that. And, and it's something you did over the course of like many years. So it, it's just like kind of an amazing, uh, you know, act of patience. You know? I have to check that run. Uh <laughs> The other thing going to with Grand Design is if it wasn't packed full of all kinds of stuff in here, that the additional reading pages come at the end. And I mean you really you really again hunker down and get into what all the pages by page number and so and so and this happened and this issue and the only the only thing, if you want to call it a drawback, I don't know, is that 
you know, the pages don't seem to have space to be numbered, but it's giving you all the all the facts of where these characters came from and I guess makes them all relevant. Yeah, it gives you some, some jumping off points. Like I would love for somebody who's, you know, never checked out a Fantastic Four comic before to read mine and then use it almost like as a map or instructions to, to explore further and, and like really get into that original stuff. When I first saw those additional reading pages at the back of that, at the back of the FF, the X-Men, I pretty much immediately thought of a oversized hardcover coffee table book, and I believe it's called The Marvel Age of Comics by Roy Thomas, and the spine of that has a bunch of character heads going up top to bottom on that spine. I don't know if you've come across that. Yeah, I don't think I've seen that book. It was a gift from a couple of Christmases ago, and it is amazing. I you know, barely scratch the surface because the inner and outer covers, or the inside front, inside back covers, have a lot of, on the timeline, uh, just all these events that happen in a chronological order. And, and we, as we do about six days a week postings, one is a first appearance. And I've gotten about a year's worth of first appearances uh, just from that part of the book alone. Yeah, it's... Uh... Now- it makes your head spin, and and I mean, I I had to like you know really like roll up my sleeves and get my hands dirty like diving into that. And uh, my story is under a hundred pages, and you know there's just like thousands of pages out there. So so you know there's all kinds of stuff I I, I didn't even get get to touch on. Uh, and and again, like you said, I, I there's uh, a ton of panels per page in my comic, and even even doing that. There were, you know, there were still all kinds of things I would have loved to fit in there and just never got the chance to. Now, going back over to the Fantastic Four in general, one of the main things that the series is known for is the Fantastic Four is a series which, at one point in time, was the main center of the Marvel Universe, and so much branched off out of it. And a lot of characters ended up coming out of the series, getting their own series, or even you know having multi-billion dollar movies. What are some of your favorite characters that have branched off from the Fantastic Four? Yeah, I mean, right off the top of my head would be Silver Surfer. I mean, he's, you know, just like such a great character. And, and yeah, there was that era where it was almost like um, a pilot for for other comics. So, yeah, you had Silver Surfer and Galactus show up, and then you have um, uh, Black Panther, you, you, the Inhumans a little bit before that. Um, I mean, like Black Panther right there it's a, a character that spun out of the um, fantastic four and and now has you know w- become the first uh superhero movie the first like marvel movie to get not uh, nominated for an academy award you know it's like uh you know pretty amazing um uh like that that was that that's my main interest in the fantastic four comic is their universe like that, that you have these characters, Fantastic Four, but then the universe that they explore and the characters they meet are just so amazing, and 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 yeah, are are stars in their own right. And with the Fantastic Four, last year we ended up doing Fantastic February, where every episode of the show has something to do with the Fantastic Four, whether it be interviewing you know fans of the, the series or people involved like Roger Corman. One of the episodes we did was why the Fantastic Four matters, and we gave our thoughts on why the Fantastic Four matters in not just the Marvel Universe but comics in general. 
Tom, why do you think the Fantastic Four matter? The, the Fantastic Four are a light in the darkness. There's um, these um, sort of hopeful characters, um, characters based in, in science and learning and curiosity, and they're they're a family. They're they're uh, they're about love. You know, they're they're um, just a positive force. They're not, you know, they're not um, out to like break anybody's skull or anything. You know, they just they just want to learn and and they um, they're uh, philanthropic. You know, they they they're a nonprofit organization. They any money they make goes back into this like ongoing um, uh, mission they have of just enriching you know the knowledge of the world. Like um, there's very few superhero characters who you could sort of like emulate in the real world, but it's it, they, they have like a, a mission that, that, you know, you, you could apply it to the real world. And again, you know, with the characters, we, we have a Marvel universe because there was a golf game going on and Stan Lee was there and they wanted, you know, their answer to the justice league. And in turn, it's kind of funny. All of this stuff is also the result of a golf game, you know? Yeah, it was um, like DC had sort of, yeah, started their own research into superheroes. Because superheroes, for a lot of years, Jack Kirby didn't even work on superheroes. He was very, he was busy in comics, but, but, you know, he went like almost 10 years without doing a superhero. And then, uh, yeah, DC brought back the superheroes back. It was the Silver Age. Um, I guess it was maybe the Flash and then... Um, uh, the revised uh, uh, Green Lantern came shortly after, and then, and then yeah, the Justice League, and and it was yeah, like like during a golf game, Martin Goodman and um, I forget who it was at DC, but yeah, they were playing golf as those the publishers tended to do. They tended to socialize with each other, uh, even competing publishers. And yeah, was, you know, he let it slip about uh, how successful Justice League was, and 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 yeah, Martin was like, you know, Stan, give me give me a Justice League, and they didn't exactly deliver that. Um, Fantastic Four isn't the Justice League. It's, it's pretty different from the Justice League. Um, but then a few years later, they um, gave uh, uh, Martin um, uh, the Avengers, which is a lot closer to the Justice League. He, it took a couple of years, but he, he finally you know, got his wish of, of having a, like a Justice League. Now, in regards to you know, what's next with the Fantastic Four as well. One of the things I've been noticing is Marvel will sometimes roll out merchandise, and there was a long, long, long time where there was no, no Fantastic Four merchandise. And now we're seeing, you know, Funko just released a bunch of pop uh, figurines. You have, like, these blind box ones of, like, all the different characters. Marvel Legends just came out with a line of those figures. And... It seems like we might be on to something very near in the future. And are you, as a fan of these characters, are you excited to see what the future holds? Oh, for sure. And, like, I've enjoyed every uh, Fantastic Four movie I've seen, I've enjoyed. Like, like they're, they're not well-regarded movies in general, but I love the Corman one. Um, I love the, 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 um, the, you know, the one that came after with uh, Jessica Alba and Michael Chiklis. Um, I, I really like the sequel where Silver Surfer shows up. And then even um, the, the most recent Fantastic Four, like I love that movie. So um, 
and even even the creator of that movie uh, has 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 you know talked trash on it. But um, I don't know. There, there's just something there that that carries through. And so I I'm, I'm really excited about the idea of the uh, you know like the the Marvel Cinematic Universe having the uh, the Fantastic Four in it because I mean those those Marvel movies those Marvel produced movies are like you know they're pitch perfect they like really nail it and and like I, I think you know we're gonna see a uh, the, the Fantastic Four hit the big time in, in a real way I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to see what they do I'm gonna give you a nice on the spot one how would you introduce the Fantastic Four into the MCU um, I think I would start by introducing Dr. Doom and, uh, you know, as this, like, sort of new menace uh, who's, you know, n- newly uh, militarized a small uh, nation in Eastern Europe. It's like a, a country nobody's ever heard of, Latveria, all of a sudden is, like, this major power, and it's like, what is going on there? And, yeah, have, like, the Avengers or somebody go check it out, and then trapped in his dungeon are the Fantastic Four, these sort of superhero characters like nobody's heard of before uh, because they, you know, like early, early on in their history, they, they were defeated by, by, um, by uh, the, Dr. Doom and his whole empire is sort of based on, you know, keeping them under his control and, and, and then, of course, have them bust out and, you know, uh, tell their story and, and, you know, sort of learn about them in, in uh, uh, you know, backwards. I like that. That smacks of the uh, the Corman Fantastic Four somewhat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's like you have such such an important you know big set of characters. Where were they in all this? You know, and and you could just say, oh well, they were off doing other things or whatever. But I I think the audience would be really excited to see you know some kind of explanation you know that that really um, you know t- turns it on its head. Tom, uh... it's kind of. Go ahead. I was going to say back to the first time you mentioned Silver Surfer breaking away from that, from the Fantastic Four and being solo. And then I said, wait a minute, Silver Surfer. Wait, Jack Kirby, hold it. It made me remember that I'm almost done reading for the first time because I recently, relatively recently acquired the Silver Surfer Fireside book with Stanley and Jack Kirby. I mean, what a, a lengthy story. Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting story behind the story there, too. It was Stan and Jack hadn't worked together in years but um they were making a a a silver surfer movie was on the horizon and they wanted to base it on a comic made by stanley and jack kirby and so the two of them agreed to work together um it came out not as sort of a marvel comic but it came out from like like a like a big book publisher i forget who exactly and if you look at that book it's the first time a marvel comic character uh, where the the book said, you know, copyright Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. This was like in like 1979, I think, uh, 78, 79. So obviously some kind of, you know, deal was made that, that uh, you know, pleased all parties involved. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a graphic novel. It was going to be the blueprint for a Silver Surfer movie that just never happened. And also, you know, going back over to Kirby, what was... Why did you want to be the one to do a Jack Kirby graphic novel about his life? And what was the moment you realized this has to be done? I mean, it's something I've always wanted to read. I've always wanted, um, like, 
I've read so many interviews with Jack Kirby, and I always wanted to know his story. Like, and all we have, we have all these interviews with him, but it's sort of in bits and pieces. And 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 he always said, uh, you know, like, oh, nobody would be interested in my story. Nobody cares. I'm not gonna, you know. And you know, like it was almost like wish fulfillment. Like, like I wished that he had at some point in his career sat down and you know wrote his life story or even better yet made a comic of his life story uh there's one story he did it's like 12 pages long he did it in the early 80s uh towards the end of his career uh where he tells like just like a short little story about the street fights he would get in as a kid and it's it's one of the best comics he ever made it's amazing it's so vivid um and it's like you know what if what if we got a few hundred pages of that of like just the entire span of his life so it was almost like wish fulfillment like i wanted to read this and nobody else was making it and around the time of of his 100th birthday when his 100th birthday was coming close i thought you know what if if i don't do this nobody's going to do it like like it's his 100th birthday and 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 you know uh this you know there's still not like a definitive story of, of jack kirby's life maybe maybe i'm the one to do it like I, I i know this stuff backwards and forwards it's it's something i'd always wanted to, to see always wanted to do and i thought okay maybe maybe now is the time like like when else so i i finally you know just sat down and and, and did it that's a lot of stuff that we got covered here tom thank you so much for your time we appreciate it oh you're welcome and tom you are more than welcome to guest on the show whenever you feel like uh around the time of uh the jack kirby book sounds good i'll pick you up on that for The Marvelous, I'm Peter Melnick. I'm Tom Scholey. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior. Obsessed with Marvel with our guest, Tom Scholey. All right, question number 160. 160. And it's topical, too. And I don't mean on your epidermis. Which Marvel character did Jack Kirby briefly draw in the 1950s? I think we all may know this one. The Black Green Knight. Arrow. Oh, yeah. I got to get he the answers. Marvel character. The Black Knight, Captain America, Marvel Boy, the Yellow Claw. Do I have to reread this? Uh, no, I mean, I, I, okay. I know the answer. Yeah. Which Marvel character did Jack Kirby briefly draw in the 1950s? Black Knight, Captain America, Marvel Boy, the Yellow Claw. Maybe we'll see. Maybe my guess, Yellow Claw. Your guess is Yellow Claw, 1950s. I was tossed between Black Knight and Captain America, but Black Knight had jumped out at me first and foremost. I maybe should stick with my instinct. And, Tom, I think you have the definitive answer. Yeah, it's Yellow Claw. It's Yellow Claw. Yep. Let's go with letter D. There we go. Okay. Nice job, boys. Let the, let the yeah, book um, do its thinking now. Okay. Black Knight, I think, was Joe Manili, who's, like, one of the most underrated talents ever in Marvel Comics history because like he was supposed to be Stan's right hand man alongside Ditko and uh Kirby. Yeah, he, he uh died young uh and and yeah never you know never got, of course got to you know be part of that like the Marvel era of the sixties. But yeah, I mean the the Black Knight is a really good comic and if you want to see kind of some of the elements that you know, uh, that Stan brought to Thor, because there's plenty of comics that Jack Kirby did 
with you know various characters that that are Thor or based on Thor or named Thor prior to working on Thor. So we sort of have a clear idea of what he brought to the table. But but Dark Knight, I, I mean Black Knight, you do see uh, a lot of things Stan brought, and 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 one of them being sort of that like the thou kind of uh, language, and you know these really cool kind of um, Prince Valiant type stories. Well, gotcha. All right, we go to question number 1,711, and it has been quite some time since in this book there are certain questions that involve a couple of paragraphs. This is one of them. Here we go. So sit back, listen up. The Hulk was so popular that the temptation to create a female counterpart of the character was too strong to resist. Although by this point Stanley had given up regularly writing comic books to become Marvel's publisher, he returned to co-create the She-Hulk with artist John Bashima in The Savage She-Hulk No. 1 from 1980. Los Angeles lawyer Jennifer Walters was Bruce Banner's introverted, somewhat mousy cousin. When she was shot by gangsters, Banner gave her a blood transfusion to save her life. His radioactive blood mutated Jennifer, who was genetically similar to Banner, into the She-Hulk. At first, she was very much the female counterpart of the original Hulk. In her superhuman form, she was taller, more powerfully built, had green skin, and possessed vast superhuman strength. Her transformations were triggered by rage, like her cousins, and initially the She-Hulk had a savage temperament. The original Savage She-Hulk series lasted only 25 issues, but the character would achieve greater success later. Here's the question. How many issues of the Savage She-Hulk did Stan Lee write? The choices are 12, 10, 2, or 1. How many issues of the Savage She-Hulk did Stan Lee write? 12, 10, 2, or 1? The answer is 1 because he ended up... They only brought him on to uh, create the character so they could secure a She-Hulk character, female uh, Hulk, because of the television series. And they didn't want to be like, oh, well, you created the character, you can do whatever you guys want. But Marvel wanted the rights to the character. So that was why it happened. And then Stan ran off and, you know, got mustache bristles on something else. Tom? Yeah, my my gut feeling was that he wrote zero uh, issues. So when you said one, that's the closest to zero. So I, I'd go with one. Also. Uh, the answer without going over. Um, I'm going to go with one <laughs> because I really didn't have an idea. But it sounded pretty substantial what Peter's uh, argument was, and he could take that one to court. So let's go with letter D, one. That is correct. We have two Ds, and in this case, that's a good thing, not in a class of sorts, grade. Okay, going down the line, and is that is backwards now, 1,375. Armbar. Uh, I had a feeling. Okay, what is Slipstream's superpower? The character is Slipstream. All right, is it super speed? Well, I'm cashing out. Well, yeah, super speed, teleportation by turning himself to energy, teleportation via warp wave, or flight utilizing air currents. Slipstream. Sure. Yeah. Super speed, teleportation by turning himself to energy, teleportation via warp wave, or flight u- utilizing air currents. Yeah, I mean, I what do you really think? have a clear one. I'd go with C. Teleportation via warp wave? Sure, why not? Okay, Peter? What he said. 
Yeah, I was thinking air currents, but not because it's letter D and we've had two Ds be correct. But I'll I'll, I'll hit in C, teleportation via warp wave. Okay. It is C. Very good. Well, there's three for three. I think we should press on and do four since this was a fantastic episode. Oh. Oh, I get it. <laughs> okay. Well, you came in with grand at the beginning of this, so I thought that was uh, applaudable. That is true. That is true. 1,036. Here we go. 1,036. Who was the father of Michael's girlfriend, Karina Walters? If you know who Karina Walters is, then I'm at a loss. Who was the father of Michael's girlfriend, Karina Walters? Was it Morris Walters? Was it the stranger, the watcher, or the collector? I think the watcher is out of this one. The father of Michael's Girlfriend, Karina Walters. Because he's just a watcher. I mean... I'm sorry. He only watched. How could he have a daughter? Okay. Or something. Morris Walters, the stranger, the watcher, the collector. I mean, I'm drawn to Morris myself, but... Yeah, I'll say the stranger. Okay. Yeah. How, how, I don't know. Why? I don't know. It just seems like the sort of thing he'd do. I, I know he's involved in somebody's parentage okay all right there's there's the inkling i don't there. have a strong feeling about this one though all right well peter's just going along so um all right i'll punch in b and it is not b it is d again the collector four d's those were the answers are you kidding me you can't make this up and that's the fourth letter of the alphabet <gasps> oh wow we gotta be done now <laughs> 